This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Hired.com is offering a new freelancing and contracting offering. They have multiple companies that will provide you with contract opportunities. They cover all the tracking, reporting, and billing for you. They handle all the collections and pre-fund your paycheck. They offer legal, accounting, and tax support. And they'll give you $1,000 when you've been on a contract for 90 days. But with this link, they'll double it to $2,000 instead. Go sign up at Hired.com slash Freelancer Show. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 224 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Philip Morgan. Howdy. Ruben Lerner. Hey, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. Uh, quick shout out that I am pulling together events for next year. So if you want to go to Freelance Remote Conf next year, because you missed it this year, check it out. We also have a special guest this week, and that is Drew McClellan. Hey, everybody. Glad to be here. You want to give us a quick uh, introduction? So a uh, short introduction, I basically, I have worked at or for advertising agencies my entire career. So in college, I uh, got hired from an adjunct professor to work at Gray Advertising in Minneapolis. When I graduated, uh, left Minneapolis and went to New York to work for YNR. And then throughout the course of my career, I've worked for lots of agencies across the country before starting my own uh, in 1995. And so we're, we're cruising on year 21. So I'm hopeful that that means things are going well. Uh, and then about a decade ago, um, I became the owner of an organization called Agency Management Institute. And what we do is we help agency owners run the back end of their business better. So lots of agency owners are accidental business owners. They started freelancing or they got downsized and they all of a sudden they had five employees and it occurred to them that they didn't know how to read a balance sheet or really understand what it takes to run a business. And so we help them run the business side of their agency. So that's that's me in a nutshell. So I split my time between my own agency and running this consulting firm where I work with about 250 small to mid-sized privately held agencies uh, throughout the year. Gotcha. So... I think a good place to start for us would be, so this is a freelancer show. I think most of the people that listen to the show are sort of a one employee shop. I do get the question periodically though. I have more work than I can handle, so I want to grow into an agency. So what should people be looking at to get started with building an agency? And from there we can go into how do you manage it and all of that stuff. Sure. So I, the first thing I would say is this is a beautiful, beautiful time for freelancers uh, if they want to work in the agency space. Um, more and more agencies are moving to a hybrid model. Used to be that agencies might have a freelancer or two on the roster, but for the most part, they wanted everybody under their roof. And today, with the sophistication level of what agencies have to deliver for clients, it's pretty tough for them to have all of that talent under one roof. So they're much more open to ongoing freelance relationships. So the good news for your listeners is agencies are a very viable client opportunity for them for both a short-term deal and also a very long-term uh, deal where they, you know, they sell a block of hours to an agency on an ongoing basis. So being in the agency space doesn't necessarily mean today that you have to add employees. And, and what I would say to anybody listening, if they're sort of teetering on that brink, once you add one employee, you might as well add 10. So there's all kinds of things that come uh, into play when you start adding employees. And, and I will say that we, I, we serve several agencies that are completely virtual and actually operate completely on 1099. So they have contracts with 
their teammates, but they're actually not employees. So there's more than one way to skin the agency cat. So let's say that I start pulling people together. I guess I'm looking for kind of a best practice. Am I better off pulling in subcontractors or am I better off actually hiring employees and building out that model first? Well, I think it's, as always, you have to start with the end in mind. So I think part of what you have to decide is what are you trying to build and, and what is your time frame? So, you know, if you're uh, relatively young and your goal is to build a business that will support you for the next 20 or 30 years, it may very well make sense to build a more traditional agency with brick and mortar employees that you can sort of train to do it your agency's way, that you can build up a base of business, that you can chase after business together, uh, and that you have a much more unified sort of vision for what you want. And also, I think you can work with bigger clients. The larger clients aren't as excited about working with a hodgepodge of freelancers who are sort of loosely knit together. So, you know, if your goal is to work for sort of uh, local businesses or regional businesses, I think you can get by with the 1099 model. If your goal is to go after national sized accounts, then I think you probably do need to build at least the hybrid of some bodies in house as employees. And then you're hiring for specialists. I think if you also want to build something big, so 20, 30, 40 people, then again, you probably want to have employees. If you want to keep it 10 or under, which a lot of people seem to want to do these days, then the 1099 route may be an option. I think the other thing you have to think about is how senior of a team do you want around you? It's a lot less expensive and less risky to build a very senior team using the 1099 model than it would be to go out and hire all of those seventy-five dollars to $150,000 employees, especially if you're just starting out. So, you know, I, I wish I could tell you there is one magic best practice, but that's not the case. So I, I just wanted to sort of echo what you were saying. I mean, I, I've been freelancing for 20 years now. And I mean, I've said in the podcast before, when I started off, my expectation and my dream was, well, obviously, I'll hire people and I'll right. one day have these like huge office towers, right, right, with gleaming large text on them, you know, learner consulting, and I'll have thousands of people working for me. And when I got to a few people, I realized, wow, this is a lot of work that is not my core interest or competency. And it's really hard to find enough work to fill many full-time employees worth. And so I've now sort of gone all the way in the other, well, almost all the way in the other direction. I actually have an employee who works for me, but it's on an hourly basis. And the more work I can get in for him, the better for both of us. But we're in Israel, so it's not 1099, but it's essentially the same sort of thing. And I find that that makes me much calmer because I don't need to worry about paying people's full-time salaries um, and making sure that I'm bringing in enough income to support them. And as long well, as everyone's I, okay with that, you know, I, I'm okay with that too. Yeah, I think it's a couple of things. One, I think it kind of depends on how you define success. So for some people, the shiny tower with their name on it is important. And so then you're going to have to build a more traditional structure. I also think what matters is where you want to spend your time. So if you love the work that you do, let's say you're a graphic designer, you're a freelance graphic designer, and you love that work. The minute you start hiring employees, I promise you, you don't get to do that work anymore. Now you're working on the business and you're running the business. And to, to your point, you're chasing business because you need to make sure everybody's plate is full so you can make payroll. When you have a team of freelancers that may pool together and, and create a cohesive team to go after business together, 
you're really only responsible for what you can kill and eat as opposed to taking care of the 10 other mouths that are looking at you expectantly for dinner. So I think it also depends on, do you want to run a business? Because then you should start an agency. Do you want to continue to do your craft, whether it's writing or graphic design or whatever it might be, SEO, whatever it might be inside the agency space, then I would tell you, you're probably better off not creating an agency because you won't get to do that anymore. Yeah, that's a very good point. And I I think if someone had ever told me that, like, hey, if you want to build it to an agency, that's fine, but it means you won't be doing development or consulting, you're going to be running a business. I think I would have thought twice about it, you know, that way back when. Yeah, that's the root. That's the, and, and when you start an agency, that's the Achilles heel for most owners is they have a, such a hard time getting out of the day-to-day work because they are good at it and they are faster fill in the blank that they end up working two full-time jobs. So during the day, they're servicing clients and, and working with their team. And at night, they're working on the business, whatever that means, whether it's accounting or you know HR issues or deciding what kind of insurance to offer, all the kind of things that come with running a business. Yeah, it's funny that you talk about that because probably a year and a few months ago, I was at that place, not with an agency, but I was doing the podcasts and then I was also doing uh, consulting as a programmer. And it just got to the point where I was doing two full-time jobs. I yeah. Was, you know, and, and yeah, it just got to the point where it was like, you know, you got to pick one. And, uh, you know, I felt like I could have a bigger impact doing the podcast. And so that's what I went with. But I've built out teams and yeah, I spent most of my time as the go-between, not the programmer. You know, it was, is the client happy? How do I keep the client happy? How do I find more work? How do I make this all go? And yeah. Well, and, and, you know, you also have the risk factor too. Again, it's the risk of being a freelancer is, I'm not saying there isn't risk, but it's smaller. You know, if I have to be, you know, my agency is 12 people. So, you know, my line of credit which allows me to ebb and flow with client billing and still be able to make payroll means that I have to have a pretty good line of credit. Well, you know what? That's tied to my house. And so I think the risks are different too when you own a, a, a traditional looking business with employees as opposed to owning your own business and being the only employee and then you subcontract out as you need more services to take care of your clients. But it's a, the pressure points are very different. So as people start to build out an agency, let's say somebody goes, well, I guess I'm okay stepping out of the programmer role or the graphic designer role and being the manager guy. What kinds of mistakes do people wind up making as they build their agency up that are going to, you know, the, the lessons that they learn the hard way that if somebody just sat them down for five minutes and said, don't do that, it would have saved yeah. a bunch of trouble. Yeah, I I think the metrics, um, the financial metrics become really important because the risk is so much greater. So understanding how an agency makes money and and understanding that you can't look at your gross billings, but you have to look at your adjusted gross income. So you take out all your cost of goods and then you have that's the money you have to spend and, and understanding the ratios of how much of that should be spent on people, how much of that should be spent on overhead and how much should be left over for profit. And managing to that every single month. So the biggest mistake agency owners make, and this is true if they're a new agency owner or they've been doing it for 20 years, is that they don't adjust staff appropriately as work ebbs and flows. So they wait too long to hire. 
which really stresses out their team when they bring on new business. And the biggest mistake they make is they don't cut staff fast enough when the revenue stream is clipped. And so what happens is they end up going in a hole that's really difficult to dig out of after you've been in it for a while. So how do you, I mean, there are two questions here. And and the first one I'm going to ask is the less emotional of the two, because I've had to fire people or let people go. And that's really rough, but it's uh, horrible. Yeah. But the, the question I have is how do you, how do you get those numbers? How do you get to a place where you have that information so you can make those calls with the best information you can get? Well, I'll, I'll tell you. So for an agency, an agency should have about $150,000 per full-time equivalent, which includes the owner. So until you're until your AGI, so again, gross billings, mine of cost of goods, is $150,000, you have no business hiring anybody. You can contract out because that falls into the cost of goods category, but you should not add anybody on staff. So that's that's metric number one. Can, so can that's, say that again? So AGI? AGI is so you take your gross billing. So let's say I, I bill uh, a quarter of a million dollars, so $250,000 a year, but 50000 of it. Right? Yeah, right. But 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 a hundred thousand of it goes to contract labor or other folks. So I really I have one hundred and fifty thousand dollars at the end of the day that I have to run my business with. That's money I actually get to spend. And what I'm saying is, until you have more than one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, you should not have a staff person. You should be doing it on your own. So to add is, one staff be- person, you need to have three hundred thousand dollars of AGI. And, I, and I'm wondering if you say that because you're, you're billing at $150 an hour. Like, I mean, what if you're no. billing less? What if you're billing more? No, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It's, it's what it costs to have an employee and still have profit built in. So, you know, agencies typically are going to bill at anywhere between $95 an hour and $250 an hour, depending on their area of expertise and what part of the market they're in. But the metric holds true because it's really tied to salary. So, you know, assuming that the average salary that you're going to pay somebody is $100,000 or less, the 150 works. And, and here's why. So of your AGI, 55% of your AGI should be spent on your salary. So that's loaded salaries. That salaries, benefits, all of that. 25% should be spent on overhead because in theory, you're going to have uh, professional development. You're going to have legal fees. You're, whether you have an office or not, you might have rent. If you're working out of your home, you might be paying yourself rent, whatever that is. And then 20% of that should be left for profit. So those are the metrics that you have to be watching every single month. And the minute things get out of whack in those metrics, you have to make the decision. So, you know, to your point, there's no worse day. I don't, and this, I don't think is agency specific, but there's no worse day in a, in a business owner's life than having to let someone go simply because you don't have enough money to pay them. That's, that's a horrible, horrible day. So you want to be smart about hiring. And the other companion mistake that business owners and agency owners make is they get so busy taking care of the clients that they have that they don't have an aggressive new business program going to always keep the pipeline full so that when one client goes away, you know that there are several that are queued up and ready to drop. So you don't have to be the revolving door of employees. We never have talked about that. <laughs> I, I can't imagine that you ever have. It's, it's a topic that no one needs to talk <laughs> about. Just forget about it. it. No. Uh-uh. 
back to something you said earlier, how, how many agencies get in that hole and, and never get out? Do you have any, have you seen any numbers about that? I'm kind of curious. In terms of not being able to financially write the ship. Yeah. Like they, they get behind, they kind of take their eye off the ball and. Well, here's what hole. happens. Yeah. Here's what happens. So I take my eye off the ball. I'm not watching the metrics. A, a client leaves. I don't right size my shop. All of a sudden I have to make payroll. And so I dip into the line of credit and the next month comes around. So I have to dip in the line of credit more. So what ends up happening is the agency owner either stops taking a salary to pay back the line of credit or they take a reduced salary or they're just on the line for that huge line of credit, which is tied to their house. Most agencies, they won't shut the door, but all of a sudden you're the worst paid employee in the shop, which seems like a bad plan. Mm-hmm. I, I was just called in a few months ago to help like some investors were thinking of buying an agency. And so I sat down and talked to the agency owner, like the owner and the CTO. And I said to the owner, you know, in analyzing what you're doing here, it doesn't seem like you're making enough to actually pay the bills. Like I said, yeah, I did just take a second mortgage on my house so I could pay for it. And I said, okay, that's like a really bad sign. <laughs> you're, you know, if you're in the web field, you should be able to be making money with your business, not losing it and like taking out loans on your house. That's, that's like bad. Right. Yeah, something's broken. And, and in many cases, again, I think a lot of times people evolve accidentally into business ownership and they don't really have the background to know what these metrics are and to know how to run the business. They're great web dev people or they're great graphic designers or whatever it is. But in terms of running a business, that's a whole different skill set. And, and quite honestly, a lot of us got into the field that we got into, and I'm a great example of that, to avoid doing math and running a business. And then all of a sudden I was like, crap, I own a business. I have to figure this out. Uh, and, you know, I was 30 years old, so I was also the perfect combination of, of ignorant and arrogant that I thought, how hard can it be? And then I very quickly learned just how hard it could be. And, you know, there were some bumpy days for me, uh, you know, early on as I learned all of these things that we're talking about. But fortunately, we were able to right the ship and, and you know, knock on wood, things are going better. But it's important to understand that just because you're good at your craft doesn't mean you have the skills and the knowledge natively to run the business, which means you have to learn from somewhere or from someone. You know, and that's why that's why shows like this are important because you guys are teaching people the the core skills and the metrics and the things they need to know to run a better business. My favorite other thing that people accidentally misunderstand about freelancing or running an agency is that it's like a people business. I think a lot of people get into it so they can deal with people on quote on their own terms, right? And um, <laughs> and then they find out how important communication is. Well, yeah, when when those people are standing between you and making your mortgage payment, all of a sudden they become pretty critical, and you probably need to learn how to deal with them in a way that gets them to keep coming back for more, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, you know, I am still stuck on the numbers here because that was so interesting to me. Yep. What? Where do you see? agencies making higher like revenue per employee numbers? Are there particular specialties or areas of focus that you see them doing better in? Well, you know, like like the rest of the world, um, agencies have been forced to really embrace all things digital. And so where agencies are able to charge a premium is for, you know, SEO, SEM, web dev has become less so that. Um, I think Word, WordPress even with its customization has really sort of 
democratize the cost that an agency can charge for that unless they're building something pretty sophisticated on the back end with databases and things like that. But, you know, all, all marketing automation, all anything that's sort of tied to to mobile agencies are able to charge a premium for. However, those employees also come at a premium price. So I don't think at the end of the day, it nets out that those are more profitable, but I do think they're stickier. So it's, I think for an agency that's really good at say marketing automation and really driving lead gen for a client, um, I think that relationship is stickier than a traditional agency who's whipping out, you know, brand ads because from the client's perspective, anybody can do the brand ads, but not everybody can do the marketing automation, especially the programming of all of that. You know, setting right. everything up and monitoring it and being able to really show an ROI. You know, coming out of the recession, clients are obsessed with data and ROI. And so agencies that are able really to tie their activities to lead gen and sales are the agencies where clients are coming back to them and saying, I know that I gave you $100,000 last year, but based on the results that you've delivered and that we can count and measure and I can sort of play up to the C-suite, I want to give you $200,000 this year. So the, the more traditional agencies are, are not having that sort of opportunity handed to them. I know, and I know that's endlessly frustrating to, say, designers who are like, no, but this is my art, right? Right, it, right. Well, and, you, and what do you say to that, <laughs> to that argument that, but this is art, this is important, or, you know, yeah, I don't know how to tie it to ROI, what do I do? Yeah, I, I think a lot of agencies are struggling with this with some of their uh, more established older employees who grew up in the agency through the ranks when, when the creative kids were the cool kids inside an agency. And now the data nerds are the cool kids inside agencies. And a lot of creatives, particularly art people, are feeling very displaced. But the reality is, in the agency world, art was never about art. It was really about messaging and selling something, whether it's selling a brand or selling a widget, whatever it is. And so for a lot of those employees, if they're not willing to advance their skills, if they're not willing to broaden their toolbox to include some digital things, quite honestly, they're becoming really obsolete inside agencies. And now agency owners are faced with a very difficult decision of, I've had an employee for 15 or 20 years who the skill set that they have, and they're brilliant at that, nobody wants to buy that anymore. And because they've been with me for a really long time, they're one of the most expensive employees I have. So that's, you, know, you talk about difficult days as an agency owner, that's a tough one. Wow. Yeah, I bet. Just hurts just thinking about it. Yeah, because, you know, this is somebody who's been with you for a long time, who has been loyal, who does have incredible skills. The pro you know, it's sort of like somebody who's selling, you know, VHS tapes. It's not that they didn't serve a great purpose in their day, but nobody wants it anymore. When you put on your, sort of looking to your crystal ball, where do you look to see what's coming down the pipe in terms of demand for skill sets and services? Well, I think, I think the big shift for agencies and, and I think this is just as true for freelancers is, you know, we used to stand squarely on the marketing side of the equation and now we've got to get into the sales side with our clients. If we cannot demonstrate ROI, you know, regardless of what it, our specialty skill is or what our agency offers or what a freelancer offers, if we cannot demonstrate ROI, 
we're pretty easily replaced. There's just so many, it's so easy to shop for our replacement today. And geography is irrelevant. Time zone is irrelevant. So people are either going to buy based on results or they're going to based on price. So either you have to be able to point to results and sort of have a dotted line from the work you did to results, or you're going to have to get a lot cheaper to survive. And most agencies and probably most freelancers aren't structured in a way that they can keep getting cheaper. I, I never thought about that, but that's true. That like, I mean, most things that you buy, you expect them, especially with the technology world, right? You expect things to get cheaper and cheaper over time. Right. And services are totally the opposite. Right. And, and uh, Or even if it's not going to get, you know, it, it, maybe it won't uh, get more expensive, but certainly not going to get cheaper. And I don't want it to get cheaper because that's my, like, it's not like I'm able to manufacture code more easily or more cheaply. Right. It's that I have to pay myself, pay my salary, I'll pay all these other things. Well, from the from the buyer's perspective, services are getting cheaper because <laughs> many, I mean, you know, Drew talked about WordPress becoming commoditized. That's a great example. I mean, from the buyer's perspective, they there is that expectation that over time they will get cheaper. Well, and unfortunately for all of us, keep in mind that our buyer isn't sophisticated enough to see the difference between the commodity version of what we do and the really high-end version of what we do. I mean, all you have to do is watch television and look at the commercials that run and go, somebody actually paid someone to make that. So, <laughs> you know, the challenge for all of us is that while the buyer wants it to get less expensive, what it takes for us, the manpower, the people, whether it's just ourselves or it's a team of people, that's not getting cheaper. Everybody wants a raise. So we've got to keep adding more value. And I think the value, again, whether you're a freelancer or an agency, is tied to two things. One, that you understand business enough that you can be a really good strategic partner, that you can really help your client think through whatever it is they're trying to solve, because that's pretty tough to buy. And two, that you are able to tie it to results, that you are, are crawling inside their CRM or you're doing whatever you have to do to demonstrate that when we move this lever, you get this many inquiries or this many sales or this many test drives or, you know, whatever it is based on your client. Those are the two things that we can do to continue to demand market value for what we sell that allows us to have a great living, have employees if we want to have them. Everybody gets raises, you know, because cost of living isn't going down. And quite honestly, being smart about automating when we can. So again, a lot of agencies used to do marketing emails for their clients manually. Nobody I know does that anymore because there are tools out there that make it efficient to do. So there is some automation in our world too. So one thing I want to dig into here a little bit, because we've talked about kind of the direction toward agencies. Once you have your agency going, you know, you, you have people that you can work with, you have the ball rolling, you're, you've got your marketing going and things like that. Um, I found that some people do really well ma managing like a small team or a small company. And then when things grow to a certain point, they're not really sure how to move to that next level. Should those people consider bringing on like a partner or a general manager or something? Or are there ways for them to learn the things they need to know in order to step in and do whatever is needed for the company to grow to that next stage? Or should they just keep it small? Part of it depends on your skill set. So, you know, I see in many cases somebody who is more so 
a lot of my agencies might have two partners and one of them is more the business side of the business and the other one is the more sales side of the business. It's rare to find somebody who is naturally talented in everything from HR and accounting to sales to staff mentoring and development. So I think a single person can manage a team of maybe 15 or so, but the minute your agency gets bigger than 15, either you've got to have department heads that are taking care of a lot of the mentoring and growing of staff. And you probably are going to have some administrative staff like a accounting person or a CFO who's handling both HR and accounting. So you end up farming it out. It may not necessarily be a business partner, but it certainly is recognizing that you can't wear all of those hats and be good at it. And the one thing that an agency owner and or a freelancer is probably uniquely suited to do is to sell the services of that business. And oftentimes agency owners get so quagmired in the day-to-day running of the business or dealing with clients that they don't spend the time, as we talked about earlier, chasing after the new business that they need to keep their business viable and flourishing. I did this years ago. Um, I'd probably been in business for myself, I guess, four or five years. And I realized I just, I mean, I had about two or three employees at that point. And I realized it just sort of wasn't going in the right direction. So I found someone who had actually been a client before and we got along really well. And she was doing freelance sort of COO type work. And I hired her to be a part-time COO for my company. And it seemed really silly at the time, but it was one of the best decisions I ever made. I learned so much from her and got so much great advice that even though it's, it's years later, I still think back to some of the things she taught me and how useful that advice was. I would definitely suggest to people that even if you're not growing to 10 or 15 people, even if you only have a handful and you can afford it, having someone who has that business experience can be long-term super, super useful. Well, and I think part of it is being really honest with yourself about your skill sets. And so if you look at sort of the administrative running of a business and say, either it's not my skill set, I know what to do, I'm just not good at it, or I don't know what to do, then that's where, you know, again, For some of you, it might be a business coach who comes in and just coaches you through it and helps you set up systems. For others, it might be hiring a COO. And even, I don't know if yours was full-time or not, but even hiring somebody on a part-time basis that's sort of a COO for hire that comes in and spends 10 hours a day or a week with your business, that may be enough. So it really is about, I think one of the arts of owning a business is recognizing both challenge and opportunity when they're small and jumping on them at that moment rather than waiting for them to either be a huge problem or an opportunity that's too big for you to harness. So I think that's one of the skill sets that's required to be a good business owner, regardless of if you have employees or not, is being able to recognize A, your own strengths and weaknesses and B, where and when to get help, whether it's a strategic alliance or an employee or a business partner, you know, all of that, all of that's a viable yes, depending on the situation. One thing that I see, though, when people do this, so they bring in somebody else to help them with the whatever part of it they're not good at, is that they either wind up turning the whole thing over to them and then getting, they, you know, later down the line, they get frustrated because it's not being done the way they want or the way that it should be done or... The other thing is, is that they still want some of that control or at least uh, to be involved or to know what's going on. So to what degree do you continue to have your fingers in that pie, so to speak? Because it is still your business without micromanaging the person that you pull in. 
Well, I think I think the key to that is to define early on how you're going to interact with each other and sort of where the roles and responsibilities are. So, you know, even if it's just the two of you building a leadership team where you're meeting on a weekly basis to go through issues and and that you sort of define, I think there are three levels of decision making for a business owner. The first one is I'm going to let everybody vote and what we all decide is what we're going to do. The second one is I'm going to ask either all my employees or some of my employees for their opinion, but I'm going to make the decision. And the third one is I'm not asking any of you. I'm just going to make the decision. So I think when you bring in somebody at that level, you, you need to define what things they get to decide, what things you get to decide and what things they even get to vote on and not, and be really clear about that because otherwise what happens, and I'm, I'm sure you guys have never seen this, but otherwise what happens is business owners have this really horrible passive aggressive way of dealing with, leaders inside their organization where they sort of set them up to fail a lot of times because they're not really clear about their communication, but they sort of cut them at the knees every time they get irritated by them or they let it fester until it just explodes and it becomes ridiculous. So I think it's important to define it early on and then to probably on a quarterly basis review sort of how you're working together and decide if it needs revising. So again, it's, I think it's about being proactive rather than reactive. But absolutely, you should not abdicate control of your business to anybody. Even if you have a business partner, you shouldn't do that. I've seen lots of agencies where, you know, one partner basically takes over the agency and and pushes the other partner out because the other partner had sort of checked out and was doing the part of the work that they love, but wasn't really paying attention to the business side of the business. This uh, Drew, this ties back to earlier. You said something to the effect of, an agency's understanding of how they can benefit their clients' businesses, one of the most powerful things they can learn. Do you have pointers for people who, they get it mentally, but they really, they don't know where to begin? Like, how, how do you begin learning how to help your clients in that way? Well, I think part of it is understanding that regardless of what your skill set is, whether you're a, a marketing strategist, whether you're a graphic designer, whether you're a great writer, our clients aren't really buying that from us. They're buying business results. And so what the best agency folks, and quite honestly, I think the best freelancers are the ones who understand how business works and who really spend the time learning their clients' business. So that's everything from how do you make the stuff that you sell? How do you find clients? How do you find employees? How do you train employees? What's your distribution channels? All of that sort of stuff that we think is sort of outside of our sort of what we influence. But the truth is that marketing is everything and everywhere. And so we absolutely should be influencing all of that. And the more you can have a business conversation with your client about whether it might be an R&D issue or it could be a technical issue, the more you can go toe to toe with them and have that conversation, the more they think of you as a partner as opposed to a vendor. And it's much harder to replace a partner than it is a vendor. So part of it is investing time learning your client's business and not just their marketing or their web you know, site or whatever it is, but really expanding beyond the one little piece of it that you touch and understanding the whole of their business. Sometimes that's shadowing uh, your client for a day or two. Sometimes that's sitting in on departmental meetings. Sometimes that's going out to the factory floor and watching a shift it can be a lot of different things, but it's really about have, taking a deep dive 
and investing in learning their business. Yeah, I think it's important to point out that that may be an investment. It may be, you know, horror of all horrors, unbillable time (laughs) that you have to invest (laughs) to add more value to the relationship. Yeah, in fact, it probably is. But if you said to a client, "Hey, I want to, I want to spend eight hour shift on your factory floor, and it's, I'm going to charge you two hundred dollars an hour," they're going to go, uh, "No." But if you <laughs> if you say to them, "Hey, I would like to make this investment. I'm not going to charge you. I just really want to understand what happens on the factory floor, so we can tell that story better," they're going to eat that up for lunch. Yep, they'll give you a personalized hard hat to wear while you're doing it. <laughs> That's right, and who doesn't need one of those? Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, I I think for people who own their own business, it's so easy to stay in the short term of getting stuff done and our to-do list. But the things that really matter, like spending eight hours on a factory floor or doing your new business biz dev activity every day or continuing to listen to podcasts, read best practice books, to hanging out with other people who do what you do and learning from them, those kind of investments are what will make our business successful in the long run. I could not agree more. Yep. I'm just uh, curious, like let's say someone is starting off like totally new, like they, they know what they do. They know what they can do, but they're not so sure what direction they're going in. How should they decide between these different things? Like how should they decide whether, well, I'm aiming to have an agency. I'm aiming to be individual. I need to partner up with someone. Like what are some of the, the things they can think about when making those decisions. You know, um, I take business owners through an exercise that I call the reporter and I'll email it to you guys and you can stick it in the show notes. But in essence, it's answering questions as though a reporter were interviewing you five years down the road and you are super successful. And it sounds ridiculous, but you actually can get yourself into the headspace of here's what I actually want to be doing in five years. And I did it many, many years ago. And it's fascinating to me that I will turn back to it every once in a while. And how many of the things that I envisioned have actually now come true. And I mean, down to um, owning some oceanfront property so I can walk on the beach and strategize about my business, which I would have thought that's never going to happen. But the exercise really forces you to think into the future about what is your best life. And quite honestly, at the end of the day, if you're willing to take the risk of being self-employed, surely you deserve the best life you can give yourself and your family. So what does that look like? What does that really mean? And and it really takes you through this, this process of defining your work world and the lessons that you've learned over the last five years as you were building to X, whatever X is. And it sounds sort of a little woo-woo-ish, but honestly, it's really um, impressive in terms of how it helps someone guide some of those kind of decisions. Because the truth of it is, why wouldn't we make decisions today that will allow us to have the financial future and the professional future that we want to have in five years. And if we don't start that today, we're not going to get it in five years. It's not like in the blink of an eye, you know, what's that expression? Every overnight success spent 20 years building to that one overnight moment. So, you know, we, we need to start building to it now. I've been reading a couple of books that, that kind of talk about that. One is called The 12 Week Year. And yeah, it basically talks about that. And then it, you know, and then it's like, okay, and then, then you break it down into what you're going to accomplish over the next 12 weeks to get there. And yeah, just having that vision is so powerful. Yeah, um, absolutely. 
And then um, I mentioned Tom and Aaron earlier on the show because we were talking about Interview Valet. They actually are part of a mastermind group that uh, I'm a part of, and we're getting together in Nashville uh, in November. And, yeah, what, what we've decided is come as you will be in 2020, which is about you know three or four years away. And it's that same kind of thing, right? It's, okay, so who am I going to be? What am I going to be doing? What, what kinds of things are really going to um, be, you know, me? And then how did I get there? What did I do? And, and as you build out that vision and figure out what those steps are, then it makes a whole lot more sense. And then it's not, oh, I have this agency and I'm going to flail about and see if I can get clients. And then, oh, I got money. But it's, it's a deliberate this is how I'm going to be living. This is how I'm going to be dreaming. This is how I'm going to be working. And these are the kinds of things that I'm going to have accomplished over the next few years. And it, it really does clear things up because then it's not, oh, I need more clients. It's I'm trying to accomplish this. So I need to go find these clients or I need to um, tone back in this area and, and move ahead in this other area and things like that. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it, it's the equivalent of getting in your car and just driving around and hoping you end up in Nashville, which was your destination all along, you have to start with the destination and then you figure out how to get there. But I think a lot of business owners just are driving around the block wondering where they're going to be, uh, as opposed to saying, here's where I'm going and here's the path I'm going to take to get there. Yeah. Well, it's like from where I live, I want to go to California. Well, California's West. Well, if I start driving West, I'm going to drive through a whole bunch of mountains. If I go East for a little while, I'll wind up on the freeway and I'll get there a ton faster. Right. Right. Yeah, it's about being intentional, I think. And and that starts with knowing where you're headed. Yep. All right, well, I'm going to push us into picks. Okay, so uh, my pick is one we've mentioned very often on the show, which is Drip. And I've been uh, doing all sorts of automated stuff with them. And my specific pick with them is their service, which I've just been so overwhelmed by. Like, I've been emailing them. They get back to me really quickly. They give me all sorts of suggestions. I, I really felt like I'm more than getting my money's worth, although I don't want to pay more, right, if you guys are listening. But I'm more <laughs> than getting my money's worth in terms of uh, how it's really allowing me to grow my business in new and different ways. I guess uh, I'll have a, another pick that's uh, related to that. Brennan Dunn, uh, who we all know and love on the show, has started to come out with a new course on how you can really get the most out of Drip. Now, I didn't realize this. He was the second, like, he was Drip user number two. And he's been really, like, figuring out how to turn it and crank it and tune it to get as much as you can out of Drip. So between their service and his new course with some videos that have really been instructive, I feel like uh, I'm on a whole different plane now and just struggling to find time to implement all the ideas that I've been getting from these various directions. I've got two picks this week. One is squishy. One is just the idea of having a vision for your business. And, and I'm just extending what Drew said. I, I feel like there's there's something powerful about being able to say in one sentence to people, you know, this is my vision. It's, it's different, I think, than a positioning statement because it's kind of future facing and kind of touches on things like what Chuck was saying earlier, having an impact or what kind of change are you wanting to create or, you know, it, it it's it's different. It's kind of weird and squishy. It's different than, you know, a positioning statement or, or your core message. But I'm finding that it's powerful in kind of communicating what you're about. So nothing actionable there. Just it's awesome to have some kind of vision for your business. That thing that you spend 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week on, whatever it is. Uh, second pick, I did a dev shop marketing briefing last uh, week 
on the topic of the mindset that I think you need to embrace or sort of some of the challenges around doing email marketing. And I'm not talking about uh, tactical challenges like how to set up an awesome campaign that converts well or anything like that. We really spent me and a panel of a few other folks who are at various stages in their journey with email marketing. We spent 80 minutes talking about all the kind of mindset stuff that comes up when you start actually using email marketing. I think it was great. <laughs> I was the presenter, so I guess I'm biased. But you might want to check that out if you are curious about email marketing or if you've tried it but kind of held back from going all the way because it felt uncomfortable. I think this presentation will be useful to folks. The URL is super long, so I'll just uh, drop that in the show notes. All right. I've got a couple of books that I'm going to pick. Uh, the first one I already mentioned is The 12-Week Year by Brian P. Moran and Michael Lennington. And yeah, basically their premise is is that if you're planning out for a year for your business, it's just too long to really have all of the targets in sight. And so they advocate that you do a 12-week year, essentially, and uh, you just plan out that 12 weeks, and then you use your overarching vision of what you want your lifestyle and your business and everything else to look like as a, a guidepost so that you can plan out what you're going to do this uh, 12 weeks, and then when the next 12 weeks come up, you figure out what you're going to do that, those 12 weeks. Another one that I just listened to on Audible that I really enjoyed and covers a lot of different topics is A Conversation on Character by Zig Ziglar. He had a few other gentlemen on there with him, and they just talked through several topics about you know, what it means to be a good person, what it means to be a good business person, uh, they go into stuff on sales. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff in there. It's really, really good. The last one is a book called Who, and it's by Jeff Smart and Randy Street. And I listened to it while I was um, in Atlanta, and it it discusses who to hire and how to figure out if they're the right kind of person to hire. And there's this whole strategy behind it. And it was really, really good, really interesting way of thinking about, okay, what does success look like for the role that I'm hiring for? Uh, what skills do they need for that? What can I ask them to figure out if they are the type of person that I would want to hire for this role? Teaches you how to screen people out over the phone. And then um, when you conduct the interviews, how you conduct the interviews in order to get all of the information you need to make the best decision possible. It's a little bit of a time-consuming process as far as hiring people, which makes the phone screening that much more critical because you really only want to be interviewing people who are a good fit. But I, I really thought that it was an excellent way to think about, okay, I need to bring somebody in. Who is the person that I need to bring in and how do I know if they're the right person? So uh, those are my picks. All right. So tying back to our conversation, the first pick I would have is a book uh, by a guy named Steve Farber, F-A-R-B-E-R, -E called Radical Leap. And it's a leadership book. It's the best leadership book I've ever read. And I will tell you that if you're teetering on the, should I stay a freelancer versus should I start a company where I have employees, knowing that you are willing to do what it takes to create a culture that cultivates growth and loyalty is pretty critical in today's market where it's tough to find and keep good employees. So Radical Leap is a great book on leadership. And I think if you read it and go, yes, then you probably have what it takes to run a business with employees. And if you read it and go, uh, no, then uh, the freelance path might be a better one for you. Uh, second book that I always recommend to every agency owner is a book called Traction by Gina Wickman. So it is all about getting stuff done inside your business. It's not agency specific, so it's good for anybody 
who's running a business. And again, this is it's good if you're a solopreneur or you've got you know 150 employees, but it is a rock solid. It's uh, called the Entrepreneur's Operating System, and it's amazing what you can get done when you follow the system that is outlined in that book. Super easy to read. And then just a really practical pick for me, um, like all of us, I struggle with getting everything done that I need to get done and keeping track of everything I need to get done and making sure that it's, you know, whatever device I'm looking at at the moment, I have the right to-do list. And so I love a tool called Wonderlist, W-U-N-D-E-R-L-I-S-T, that uh, allows me to sort to-dos, to lump them in categories, to share them with my team so I can assign to-dos. I think they're actually out of Holland, maybe, hence the spelling of Wonderlist. But really great customer service and uh, syncs on all of your tools, so phone, tablets, and computers. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Awesome. Now, to wrap up, I just wanted to ask if people start an agency and they're thinking, oh, I could really use somebody like Drew or somebody like Drew's agency to run this for me. How do they get a hold of you? Probably the best place is to go to agencymanagementinstitute.com. Uh, all of the contact information is there, information about the podcast, information about the workshops we teach, lots of free tools. And obviously, they can reach me by email at just drew at D-R-E-W at agencymanagementinstitute.com. And on social, I'm Drew McClellan pretty much everywhere. So it's M-C-L-E-L-L-A-N. All right. Well, thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Enjoyed the conversation. All right. We'll wrap this one up and we'll catch you all next week. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.